Now, before we invite our guest speaker to come, I want you to turn around, look around you. Look around you. All right. The people that you don't see, that you normally see, can you just make sure you contact them this week? Let them know they were missed. Don't put them on a guilt trip. We know everybody has things they have to do, but just let them know you missed them. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? People say, hey, I missed you. I, uh, uh, I'm sorry you weren't able to be with us and uh, give them an opportunity to know that you care. All right. Dr. Don Lane is here with us from Stewardship Services. I'm going to let him give us a, yes, ah, new baby. Welcome, Jeff. And Natalie, is it? Welcome. Good to have you guys here. And what's the baby's name? Barrick? Barrick Andrew. It is so good to have him in church this morning and you in church. May the Lord richly bless you and all of you. All right, Dr. Lane, come. Yes, yes, yes. Bring your, bring your, I'll set this up for you while you're doing your opening remarks and make sure it's at your level. Very good. Well, it's great to be here in this church today. I met your pastor and his wife out in Kansas City a few months ago, and I said to Bobby Joe uh, just a little bit ago, I said, uh, Boy, it's nice to meet you in your own environment because it's amazing uh, once we get into uh, where people are and where they live um, and where their comfort zone is and all that kind of stuff. I got to tell you what, um, my wife and I agree wholeheartedly there's something good happening here at Virginia Beach First Church of the Nazarene, and you guys are blessed and hold on to it. I had a lady say to me just before the service started, said, we got one of the best pastors. If anybody tries to get them, they're in trouble. She had a cane, and she was ready to use it. Amen? There you go. That's good. And your pastor didn't pay me to say any of this. I just uh, really sense that the Spirit of the Lord is here, and I'm so glad that you have come to be here as well. Maybe the word leaked out that someone was going to come and maybe talk a little bit about money today. So some folks uh, didn't come, but just tell them next week or whenever you see them and say you missed them, it wasn't that bad. Uh, so just just uh, let that out. I, I'm here with the Church of the Nazarene Foundation, uh, but I have been a pastor for many, many years, and one of my favorite things to do is preach, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But if you don't mind, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. I was born back in 1961. I'll save you the math, 54 years old. Uh, so I was born in 1961. My mom and dad were the directors of the Kansas City Rescue Mission when I was born. So we lived on the top floor, and we ministered to those who were trying to overcome alcoholism on the bottom floor. And so we got soup every day as a part of the ministry, and there was preaching, and people gave their life to the Lord. Soon after I was born, we began the multi-pastoral move, uh, moves. My dad was a pastor, but basically he was called into missions. And so he was only doing the past, I shouldn't say it that way, but he was pastoring with a view of missions. Because back then you had to pastor X number of years before they would let you go to the mission field. So we began this little tour of pastorates. We went from Kansas City to Maine, from Maine to Kentucky, from Kentucky to, I can't even, can't even remember the order. Anyways, we ended up in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Ohio and Illinois, and we were just like all over the map. Until finally back in 1975, mom and dad finally got the call to missions, and we began, our, uh, began with language
language study in France, in Albertville, France, and then went on to uh, Haiti where my mom and dad were missionaries. And I graduated from high school in Haiti. Upon coming back, I uh, went to Mount Vernon Nazarene University, Nazarene College at the time, uh, got my degree and found my wife, uh, Nancy there. Colleges are great for a lot of things, and uh, that was uh, one that was a bonus above all bonuses. And from that, uh, we have now have two wonderful daughters, uh, Abigail, who is 25 years old, and she lives in the Columbus, Ohio area, and we have a f- almost 15-year-old that uh, still lives at home. She's going into 10th grade. We can't believe it. It's making us feel old, uh, but we are blessed, blessed, blessed beyond measure. So that's a little bit of the biographical about who I am, And uh, but let me just tell you, if you don't mind, the, the, there's three things about me that I think matter, I want you to know that matter to me the most. And the first thing is this. I, I am madly in love with God. Are you with me on that? I, th- if, if I want people more than my, my history to know that my current is that God is the greatest thing going in my life. And I love Him with all my heart. And I love good worship. And this was good worship here today because He is worthy of that kind of worship. And uh, when we lift Him up, he, he is honored. I love this book, the Bible. It is our guide. It has all the answers to life. Now, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in our world, and the Supreme Court has ruled on some of that, and I'm not going to get into it. Everybody relax. But there's a lot of things going on right now, and we might be tempted to say, well, the Bible doesn't address that, and I have to disagree, because I believe the Word of God gives us all the principles and precepts that we need for life. And so this book is just, it's great. And, and I love this book. And so along with that, the third thing you need to know is I love to preach. And so you put these three together. Yeah, uh-oh, hold on. Now what time do you get out of here? I don't know. Uh, so I love God. I love, I love this book, and I love to preach. And those are the things that you need to know the most. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to get them out and hold them open, okay? Because if we're going to preach the way we're supposed to preach, in my opinion, then it's not what I have to say, it's what this book has to say. So we're going to try to jump into some words, and we're going, to, we're going to let them jump off the page and into our hearts, okay? That's our goal today, to let the Bible come to life. You see, before, when it, when it comes to life, then it, then it achieves its ultimate purpose. If they're static and on a page and just words, then they're just static and on a page and words. But the purpose is to jump out and jump into our lives. And I think we have some verses here today that are going to help us in Proverbs chapter 3. Now, you're familiar, I am sure, with Proverbs chapter 3 because there's a couple of verses there that you know real well. But there's some other verses in this book, that are this chapter, that's pretty good. And uh, you're going to see that as we read. Can we stand together as we read in honor of the Lord's Word? Listen carefully to God's Word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Here's the words we know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
And then verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Let's ask God for some help for a bit. Lord, thank you that we get to open up the, the greatest book ever written and ever to be written. Because they're more than just words of, that were recorded by man. They were given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Their intent is to not stay on a page, but to jump into our life and our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we're digesting the wonder of these words, that they will come alive for us and that they will become maybe in a fresh and a new way, the guide for, for how we live our life. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be so. I pray, Lord, that um, even though I'm going to be using some words from my mouth, I understand that the Holy Spirit speaks uh, on His own. And so, Holy Spirit, if there's something specific needs to be said, no matter what I'm saying, you just go ahead and do your business, and then we'll, we'll all go away from here having heard what is needed to be heard uh, in our ears. Thank you, Lord. You are faithful always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Let's, uh, let's begin by understanding the context, and that would be the next slide, the context of these verses. Because I think so often what happens is when we have some words, especially there in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, that happen to be my family's uh, verses as we were going to the mission field, if we, if, we, if we just grab some words in the middle of a story, then, then we may misinterpret them or mis, uh, misunderstand them. So a lot of times what people will do is they'll grab a verse and they'll build a theology or a thought on it, but then when you go back and look, you say, well, that's not what they were saying at all. So the question is, what is it that is going on in this chapter as a whole? Now, if you were to read it all the way from the beginning to end, what you'll find is a continuance of what we've seen in this first ten verses, that what, what appears to we have what we, we appear to have in these verses is what, what we would commonly call cause and effect statements. Cause. Now, you know what a cause and effect statement is, right? If this happens, then this happens. So what appears to be there is these cause and effect statements. So let me just stop us here right now and make sure that we get this out of our head. Now, the words are there that make it look like a cause and effect statement, but in the truth, here's, the, here's a critical, critical key. What, we're ha- what we have in Proverbs 9 is not cause and effect, it's covenant. Covenant is what we have in these words. So what, what the author is doing for us is he's not presenting for us some kind of a legal contract, if you will. You understand what a legal contract is? See, in a legal contract, if party A does X, then party B must do this. And so with legal contracts, what we do is we, we enter into these legal contracts, and then, then from that we can use it as leverage against one another. We don't leverage God, right? So we, we, can't, be, we can't be looking at legal contracts uh, uh, statements here. We're reading about covenant. So let me just, if I can get you, convince us to pull that if and then word out, and, and let's rephrase it something like this, as I do this, then God will do this. Okay, so in essence, here's what the author is saying. Let me tell you how covenant relationship works. I'm going to show you how 
when you bring XYZ into the presence of God, he brings his greater XYZ into the presence of into your presence, and it's all blended together, and the result is this wonderful covenant. You understand that? Critical if we're going to understand these verses. Let me give you an illustration. I love stories. Bob Benson is one of the greatest storytellers that ever lived. He's from the Nashville area, I believe. And he, I, I've heard him say, I think I just read it. Maybe I even heard him give this story, but he tells a story about a picnic. Now, I'm going to get everybody in trouble because everyone's going to get hungry here in a minute, but just bear, bear with me. We're going to eat on the grounds here in just a moment. Um, Bob Benson said, that one day he remembered all of a sudden that there was going to be a church picnic on a Saturday. So the tradition of their church was that everyone would just bring their picnic lunch, and then they would, they would get their picnic lunches out, and everyone would eat whatever they ate. It wasn't like a potluck or a carry-in or whatever terminology we use. They, we, they, would, they would bring it, they would eat it, and then after they would picnic as families, then they would church together there out in a park and play softball and horseshoes, and they probably didn't have cornhole back then, but whatever they happened to do during that time, all right? So Bob Benson remembered the last minute, and he's, so he opened the refrigerator, it was almost bare. He saw there's a little bit of ham there. He had a couple pieces of bread. He grabbed some ham, slapped it on the bread. So he said the mustard jar was so empty, it like gets on your knuckles. You know how that gets when you're scraping it out of the bottom? So he, scraped, he got the mustard out, he slapped it on there, put the other piece of bread on, jammed it in a bag, and headed off to the picnic. So he gets there, he's a little bit late because he forgot till the very last minute. So he finds a little spot at the end of a table, and as he looks down the table, he sees this family that are they're professional picnickers. And uh, so they're pulling out of this basket, steam rolling out of this southern fried chicken. All right, so they lay it down there and then pull out the baked beans and the potato salad and you know, anything picnic-related, they pull it out. And it's just spreading out all over the place. Here's Bob Benson with his ham sandwich with a little bit of mustard on it, and he keeps looking down there. Well, the lady of the household looks down, spots Bob down there, and says, Hey, Bob, hey, what? listen, why don't you throw your food in with ours, and we'll eat it together. Now that is covenant. Yes, sir. You see what, what is happening here? You see that ham sandwich didn't allow, amount to much compared to fried chicken, right? I mean, but, but, but Bob threw it in, and when you put it all together, it was a pretty good meal. Yes. So this is how it works with us and God, right? When God is saying in these statements and throughout the Bible, if we put different lenses on and read the Word as a covenant book, it's amazing what difference it makes because God is repeatedly saying here and everywhere, listen, let me tell you what you can do. You go ahead and do this side of it, not as a legal thing, but, but you, this is as a love and expression to me. Why don't you do this? And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to bring all the bounty of heaven to bear. I'm going to throw it in together, and we're just going to picnic together. Anyway, you like that? Okay, so that's pretty good, isn't it? So here we have these little statements, and I'm not sure if my PowerPoint's working, so we'll just not work. Is it? Okay, it's just not working back there. Okay, there we go. Okay, so <clears throat> go ahead to the verses there. Let, let's look at these. If you've got your Bibles, just make sure I got this right. But in verses 1 and 2, uh, it says, as as you, if, as you do not forget the Lord's teachings and, you do, and keep the Lord's commands, then your lives will be prolonged many years and you will be prosperous. 
covenant, right? Okay, just keep watching the teaching, keep God's commands, and he is going to bring much bigger thing. He's going to give you a prosperous life. Verses 3 then 4, if we love if we let love and faithfulness never leave us, binding them around our necks and writing them in the tablets of our heart, then we're going to win the favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. That's a pretty good deal. Verses 5 and 6, if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you'll not lean on your understanding, if you'll acknowledge Him in all your ways, then He will make your path straight. I've, I've experienced that a lot in my life, haven't you? It, it, it's true. So verses 7 and 8, if we do not seek to be wise in our own eyes, if we fear the Lord and shun evil, then God will bring health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. Now, all of those covenant statements are worthy of an extended sermon. Because, you know, preachers can make something big out of nothing, you know. So all of those are worth something. But, but what I want to focus in on here is this, this last covenant statement. We're going to break it down specifically so we can understand it. It says, if we honor the Lord with our wealth, if we give the Lord the first fruits of everything contained within our wealth, then, get a hold of this, He will bless us to overflowing. That's pretty good, isn't it? If we'll honor him, if we'll give him our first fruits, he will bless us. So let's break this down. The first part is it begins with this statement, if we will honor the Lord with our wealth. And let me put it into this kind of framework, if you will. The first thing that, that Solomon is trying to help us with through the inspiration of the Spirit is this. He wants to talk about some attitude at the very beginning. Attitude. Now, what can often happen is we can read verses and we can do them rather dismissively, right? It's easy to do. So this would be an easy one to do because it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. So let's just stop right there and let's do what we may be tempted to do. We could just say, well, I'm not wealthy, so let's go ahead and skip this covenant section and move on to the next one, right? Right, we could do that. So if we do that, we're making a really big mistake. Because if we're doing that, it's probably because our attitude isn't properly finely tuned. We're not understanding what is true about our lives. So let me just let you all in on a little secret in case you didn't know this. We are wealthy beyond what we deserve. Yes, we are the wealthiest people under the, under the sun. We are Every one of you in here is wealthy. Now, I'm not, I don't, don't try to we're not going to have a discussion on it. You're going to figure this out as we go along. But, but we, we, just by virtue of the fact of where we live, are wealthy beyond the majority of the world. And I've lived in some of those places of the world. And, and, and if you want to see what lack of wealth looks like, even though those people act wealthy when they find the Lord, but we are wealthy. So let's just do a material checklist for just a few moments. Let me just read a few statements for you. If you have any food in your refrigerator, you have clothes on your back, and you all do, and that's a good thing. If you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're already more wealthy than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank or in your wallet or even in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, the pangs of starvation, then you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment or arrest or torture or death, then you're more blessed than three 
get this, billion people in the world that cannot experience that. If you have a job, no matter how much it pays, if you drove a car to church this morning or even took a taxi, if you placed even a little in the offering plate, if you're sucking on a mint or chewing on gum, listen, you're already wealthier than the most of the world. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So listen, attitude matters. And so what, what Solomon is beginning with is, okay, let's, let's be honest about this. We are wealthy. Okay, so honor the Lord with your wealth. Let's not be dismissive of this verse, but let's look at it a different way. One of my favorite authors in the Bible is Paul. I like Paul because he's rather passionate. If you, if you read Paul carefully, if you're an English teacher, you just go, oh, because he, he, never, he has sentences that go on forever. Colon, semicolon, comma. I mean, he goes on. It's like he writes the way he talks, and I have a feeling he was so passionate he didn't breathe. And so, so he just he comes flying out of him. So let's, let's look at an example of that. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books of Paul's books, his letters. And so in Ephesians, Paul is not like the average person or a lot, not like us in the United States of America. You see, usually we make a case and then we come to a conclusion. Paul doesn't do that. He does his little introductory things, verses 1 and 2, and then right out of the gate... Proverbs, or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, what does he say? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I mean, he couldn't wait. He couldn't build his case. He just needed to get it out there on paper. He, he, what he's saying is, guys, gals, listen up. Do you understand how blessed we are? How blessed we are. And that's wealth, by the way. And then from that explosion of praise... He goes on to make his point, and it's almost, it almost doesn't have to because maybe even the enthusiasm of the words, but, but, but let me just summarize. Just chapter 1, we're chosen by God before the creation of the world to be made blameless, predestined to be called the children of God, redeemed through the blood of Christ, forgiven of sin, freely offered the riches of God's grace, sealed with a promise, Holy Spirit, and, he, and guaranteed an eternal life in heaven. Now, is there any reason why Paul shouldn't be excited? Is there any reason why you shouldn't be excited? Because if we're a child of the king, all of this belongs to us. Isn't that good news? So, so when we're thinking about opening this understanding of this covenant, we got to start with reality, which is all about attitude. And the reality is we're not only physically and monetarily wealthy, but spiritually we're through the roof. We're multi-billionaires, aren't we? Peter, he's pretty good. He writes a lot of passionate stuff. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2? Once we were not a people, but now we're the people of God. Once we were, had no mercy, but now we have God's mercy. Once we were nothing, but now we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's pretty good, right? I mean, I could go on and on, but time says I ought to stop this right now. But I want us to grab a hold of this. We are wealthy. Okay? Are we all in agreement with that? Can you say amen? All right, heads are going up while you're saying amen. Okay, so before moving on, let me just give this little illustration. When I was growing up, uh, like I said, mom and dad lived over top of the rescue mission. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that wasn't a high-paying job. I don't think it was. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Okay, so when dad went to, uh, to, to, to Maine, 
they gave him a whopping salary of 25 bucks a week. Now they did bring chickens and stuff and put it on the, on the porch every so often. When he went to Kentucky, it was 35 bucks a week. I mean, bump up in the raise, right? Um, and every little church and every church he went to was under 100. They were just small, wonderful, exciting churches. But, but, but the pay wasn't all that good, all right? So when mom and dad got the call to the mission field to Haiti, well, <clears throat> they adjusted the salary to the economy. Okay, Haiti's the second poorest country in the world. What do you think their pay was? Okay, it wasn't real high. It was better than everyone in Haiti probably, or a lot of people in Haiti, so they lived just fine. I say all that to say this. The entire time that I was growing up, I had no idea that we were poor. I had no idea. In fact, I didn't know until I filled out my financial aid form when I went to college. I filled that financial aid form out. They call it FAFSA now. But I filled it out, and I sent it in. You know what the government concluded? You're poor, son. You are poor. And so we need to give you a boatload of money, and I was happy about that. But I had no idea I was poor. You want to know why? Attitude. 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 Can I go out on a limb and say this? If we have the audacity to say to the Lord we're not wealthy, we're really insulting Him, aren't we? Very much so. Okay, so <clears throat> attitude is addressed. So now he goes on, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then he gets a little bit more specific. With the first fruit of all your crops. Okay, we know what this is, right? If we don't, let me just explain to you what it is. There's a word that we use in the church called tithe. Tithe. Sometimes we use the broader term stewardship, and that's fine. So <clears throat> here's, what, here's what Solomon is doing. He's saying, okay, if you get, can get your attitude in line, and if you can understand that in this picnic of covenant, God has given you the fried chicken, and all you've got is the, the, the ham sandwich with a little bit of mustard. Don't you think the right response to him would be thankfulness? To say back to him, you know, God, you've been so good to me. I think because you've been so good to me, I, I want to give back to you. Now, if we can understand, here's a critical point now, if we can understand that covenant is not legal contract, then we understand that tithe is not legal contract. You see, a lot of people hate tithe sermons because they think the pastor's going to get up there and use leverage on them. There, there's no leverage to tithe. Tithe is not about leverage. Tithe is about thankfulness. Tithe is about love and the Lord and being thankful for all that He's done. You do remember, I think, and if you don't, let me just share with you, that the genesis of tithe was a servant of the Lord coming back from war, and he encounters Melchizedek, the priest of the Lord, who in Hebrews we find out is probably the Lord Himself. And so he encounters Melchizedek, and out of gratitude, he gives him, what? A tenth of all the plunder. Do you remember the story? Or maybe this, you've heard this for the first time. That's okay. So tithe is this thing that we do to say to the Lord, it's actually, it's the minimum we do. The minimum we do to say to the Lord, I want to throw in my part. I want to do my thing. I want to do my, give my thanksgiving to you today. So let's just dwell here for just a minute, and then we get to the next section because we got to move on. What is tithe? <clears throat> now, <laughs> when I went into pastoring, I had no idea 
there, there were a lot of people who had no idea what tithe was. What I found out in the very first pastor was that some people had come to believe that tithe was anything they gave to somebody else. And it should add up to 10%. So I walked, uh, bumped into this and talked to this, this dear old saint. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a tither. I give some to the fire department. I give some down there to the police department. Send them to Billy Graham. And, uh, yeah, I send it all around. I give a little bit to the church. And I said to her, dear lady, you're not tithing. You're, you're, you're making contributions. But tithe is what we bring into the, to the storehouse. This is the storehouse. This is the place where, where we talk about the blessing, right? And where we, we measure out the blessing and we care for each other like you're caring for each other in prayer. This is the place where God is ministering. And so that tithe is what we bring in to this place. I'm encouraging you to go ahead and, and support the fire department, the police department, all those kind of things. That's great. I believe in all those, but that's not tithe. Tithe is what we bring here. This is where the blessing comes from. So if we're going to do the covenant thing, we need to do it in the context. And this is the context. Let me just add this in. We don't tithe if we can, just if we can afford it. We tithe because when we tithe, God helps us to pay the bills with what's left over. You know what? It doesn't say it, there's no place else in the Bible that I can think of where it says test me in this. God doesn't like to necessarily be tested, but He gives permission. He says, test me in this. You go ahead and bring your tithe and you test me in this, and you see what happens. Now, I know if you're not tithing yet, this may seem really big. Okay? And I understand that. Okay? And God understands that. Can you just get into the journey? Just get started. Get into it. In fact, if you want to be so bold... Just jump in with both feet and try it, okay? Now, if you don't feel that bold yet, just jump in as much as you can, all right? But I, I have found in my own personal life, there's, the more I give to the Lord, the more He helps me. And I don't know why that works that way other than that's just how covenant works. But, but tithe is not, not something we pay if we think we can afford it. Tithe is not something we pay if we like the pastor. It doesn't make any difference. Because it's not, we're not giving it to the pastor. We're giving it to the Lord. Did any of you guys know that the pastor doesn't get paid by you? <laughs> I'm going to go on a little, a little side. No, the, Lord, the pastor gets paid by the Lord because you gave the money to the Lord. And then he pays the, the, the pastor. So whether you, we like them, and you all like him, so that's kind of nice. So that makes it easy. So that's a good thing. Or we don't, we don't pay tithe if we've had a good week or any of those kind of things. All right? So tithe... Tithe is, is a constant that we can do in life that's part of covenant. Okay? So hold on to that. So let me tell you something really neat that comes, uh, then comes out of these verses. So we still look to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop, and then listen to what he says in verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to just full? No. To overflowing. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I want to talk to you about what I call the blessing continuum, okay? I don't know. Maybe someone else has used that term. If they have, then I've borrowed it. I don't know. It just kind of came to my head, all right? But blessing continuum. Here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying this. Everything you have, you didn't get from all on your own anyways. 
All the blessing you have, all the wealth you have is, is from the Lord to begin with. So, from all that he gave you to begin with anyways, let's at least bring to him the 10%. And when we bring him the 10%, you know what he's going to do? The person who gave it to begin with is going to give you some more. Now, it may be in money, it may be in blessing, it may be in all kinds of different things. Let's not get, you know, let's not narrow it so down that God can't do give maybe better than money. All right, we want the, we want the very best. But it's amazing. You give to the Lord this tithe, and then he blesses you again. And so then, then you take that blessing, and you say, wow, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm even more wealthy because of the Lord. And so we turn around, and we give some more to him. And you know what he does? He throws it back in our, and, and we, get, we get blessed some more. And so we give, and he gives, and we give, and he gives. I will promise you, you can't outgive the Lord. It's just not possible. It is impossible because his pool of resources is a lot bigger than the wealthiest person on the face of this earth. Okay? So when we, when we get into this full, the fullness of this covenant, what we discover is this, it's just this love affair where we give, he gives. We give, he gives. We give. It just goes on and on. I have in my wallet, uh, I carry a $50 bill. Let me give you some background on this. When I was in, when Nancy and I were in seminary, uh, we were poor. Okay, we were poor. There were times when I mean, we were. There was a place called the Hen House where you could buy really cheap bread and really cheap eggs, and so you could eat something, right? And there were times when we were scraping the bottom. I, one time, I couldn't even get to work because we didn't have any gas in the car. I mean, it was just crazy. But went to church one day, and I, I laid my Bible down. And then uh, we did Sunday school and church, came back and opened up the Bible, and was it a 50 or a 100? $50 bill. There was in there a $50 bill. I had no idea where it came from, but it was a billion dollars. I mean, when you have nothing, it's like, it was just like jaw-dropping. You say, wow. I remember from that day, and, and other times, other, other blessings happened, but I remember from that time on, I remember us saying to each other, wouldn't it be fun if we could get to that place? Wouldn't it be fun if we could do that? And so, so the Lord finally gave us the opportunity to be able to do something like that. So I have in my wallet this $50 bill. And the $50 bill doesn't belong to me. The $50 bill belongs to the Lord. And so every so often what the Lord says is, Don, I want you to give that $50 to this person. And I do. One time, I remember this is the funniest thing. I went to, um, uh, we went to this, this couple's house, and the Lord said to give that money away. I couldn't figure out how to do it, so I put it in the refrigerator. <laughs> and so sometime they were going to open up the refrigerator, and there was that $50 laying in there. Now, of course, they were going to know where it was. We were just there, but what fun, what fun to be able to, to begin to bless people. But the point of this story is this. <clears throat> I have done this I don't know how many times with that $50 bill, whoever the Lord tells me to give it to, and never once, and I don't think it's ever going to happen, did God not replace the $50 within a 24-hour period. Why? Because we can't out-bless Him. We can't out-give Him. And that's the, the whole point of this covenant, this blessing continuum. So he will, he will bless us to overflowing. Now, I'm going to close with a, a great illustration here in a little bit, but I'm going to put on my foundation hat for a few moments, if you don't mind, because it's, it's one of the purposes for coming. And I want to talk about 
what can we possibly do with that blessing continuum? And uh, what we can do is we can begin to ask God the question, is there something that God wants me to do with the surplus that will bring blessing and honor to His name? Well, the only reason the Church of the Nazarene Foundation exists is because we get to work with men and women like you whom God has blessed in some way, and we help them to find ways to, to give those resources away in a blessing kind of way. So some of the things we, we do in the Church of the Nazarene Foundation, we talk about charitable gift annuities or charitable trusts or donor-advised funds, endowments or uh, wills and trusts and all those kind of things. We, we talk with individuals about that. And why, why do we, we're not begging at the, at the Nazarene Foundation. We're simply here to help you to respond to God with the surplus that He's given to you already. And when we turn that surplus back around and put it back into His hands in a usable way, then it's amazing what God can do to expand His kingdom. So let me just talk with you just about like three of these different ones. So the next screen, a charitable gift annuity is an amazing little tool that we, we use to help you. We, we have people who will donate cash. In this illustration, someone had $201,000. I don't know why the one in this illustration, $200,000 would be a nice round number. But they had it in cash or they had it in stocks. They had it in several different ways. They cashed it in, and the ultimate, the end result was they had about $201,000. And so they donated that money through the Church of the Nazarene Foundation in the form of what's called a charitable gift annuity. Charitable, it's a gift. Annuity, you get an annual payment. And um, so they donated that money because they're aged 86 and 85. Then because of that, now listen to this, they get paid back for the gift. Now, where else have you heard about that? That kind of sounds like this covenant, doesn't it? They get paid back for the gift. It's based upon a percentage number that's based upon your age. Because they're 86 and 85 years old, they get paid back 6.9% of the original gift until they both go to glory. And so every year they're receiving $13,869 a year back as a gift that they get to use. Most of it's tax-free, and it becomes this life income stream that they can use until they die. And then when they pass away, that $201,000 original gift, because we've, we've earned that back through investing in the stocks, bonds, whatever you can do through investments, that $201,000 then becomes a gift to the charity of your choice. Can I suggest a charity to you? Virginia Beach First Church of the Nazarene. You like that idea? Just kind of hold on to that secret. This is a pretty good charity right here. Listen, I don't know. Let's, let's just think outside the box here. Let's take this as an example. Let's say that we set up a charitable gift annuity. And let's say five years from now, when you're running 300, and the Lord is saying to you, listen, you've blown out the, the, the capacity of this building. And the Lord uh, has another place around that needs to have a church. And uh, so right about that time, the board votes and it's presented to the congregation. You do a standing ovation. This is what we ought to do. You're going to do that, right? This is what we ought to do. And so the standing ovation, and someone raises their hand, uh, how are we going to pay for that? And then sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so just happens to have gone on to glory. And what 
do you know? There's $200,000 that's available to do God's business. Pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that pretty good? That's, I love that idea. Well, let's think of another one. Another, another possibility is what we call, go to the next slide, an endowment. An endowment is where we give money or something else of value. I keep on saying that because money is not the only thing we give away. Something of value. And we put it into this fund, and that fund becomes a feeder fund to pay for ministry. So let's say a person, and it's usually 5% payout every year. The reason we do 5% is because we can get the 5% back. And so what I love, 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 love about endowments is once an endowment's set up, it'll keep paying until Jesus comes. I like that, right? So let's say someone gives $100,000. That means every year, Virginia Beach, Church of the Nazarene, will get $5,000. Could you deal with $5,000 more in your budget? I think you could. If you give $200,000, it would be $10,000. If, if someone here happens to have a million dollars, go ahead and put it in that endowment. That would be a lot of money. That would be $50,000 a year. Can you imagine a difference that would make in, in the kingdom of God? forever till Jesus comes. An endowment is a way to put money into a fund that will just keep paying and paying and paying and paying. And there's all kinds of ways in which you can designate it. And what I suggest to people is don't designate it like for paper clips or something like that. Go talk to the pastor. Find out what, what, which way is the church moving and then jump in on that. And make it, make, it, make it specific enough that it's spent just on that, but broad enough that as the church grows and expands and, and morphs into what the Lord wants it to be, that it can be used in that way, okay? Like an evangelism fund or something like that. Winning lost people to Christ. You know what? Can there be a better investment than putting $100,000? I'm just using a round number. If it's $10,000, I'm good with that too. If $100,000 into a fund... I'll just use this, this definition. And $5,000 a year specifically targeted to win lost people to Jesus Christ. If that doesn't stir your imagination, I don't know what will. That's, that's a blessing continuum, right? That's what's here in this proverb. So, so the last one I want to talk to you about is what's called a donor-advised fund. And then I'm going to give a closing illustration. I think I'm still within my time, so that's good. Donor-advised fund is something a lot of people use and basically what you do is you put a pool of money into this fund called a donor advised fund. You name it. If, it's, if I'm given the donor advised fund, it's probably going to be named the Don Lane Donor Advised Fund. I'd probably name it the Don and Nancy Lane Donor Advised Fund. Okay? And so you put this money in here, and then you tell the Church of the Nazarene Foundation, i.e. me, here's how I want that money to be invested because I'm not sure where God wants to use it yet. But it's, it's his. Because I'm putting in this donor advised fund, I'm already saying to the Lord, I'm not going to spend this. I'm going to put it in this donor advised. You can't get it back once you put it in there. So I'm, I'm giving it away, and it's going to sit there, and it's going to grow until sometime the Lord knocks on the heart. And the Lord says, did you just hear that need? Did you just hear that call? Did you just hear that appeal? Call up the Church of the Nazarene Foundation and release some money. It's banking money for blessing is what it is. Some people use these because they give to a lot of different entities. One of the favorite things that people do, from what I understand, is that if you're in that um, uh, mandatory distribution of your 401k, some of you may be in that age category when you get to 70 and a half years old, even if you don't want the money, you've got to take it. 
I can't think that way because that doesn't make any sense to me. But, but if, even if you don't want the money, then you, you have to take it. Well, then, then you've got to pay taxes on it. Well, you don't if you give it, put it in the donor advised fund. You just throw it in there directly. You avoid the taxes, but you get a tax write-off because you made a donation. And then all of a sudden, the call comes. It could be in a specific appeal. It could be in the middle of a sermon. When the Lord grabs your heart and says, you know what? I'm calling in the money. I'm calling it in. You already put it there for me to use. I'm calling it in. And all you have to do is make a phone call or send a, an email, and we let that money go, and it blesses the kingdom of God. The Nazarene Foundation, in, in simple forms, is just about giving a tool for people to give money to bless the kingdom of God. And we give it out of that overflow of what the Lord has given. Here's the last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to give you a closing illustration. So often when we think of wealth, we think in terms of money, right? But there's so many different ways we can give. There's stocks, there's bonds, there's time, by the way. Time's worth a ton of money. But you may have some stocks, you may have some bonds. If you donate them directly without cashing them in, you don't have to pay taxes on them. And you get a tax write-off. We've had people donate a a trainload of, of, of cows to the Church of the Nazarene Foundation, and pigs. We've had people who own property, that, and they were growing a crop, and they petitioned off a five- or a ten-acre section of their crop, and they said, now, when you harvest that, send it to the granary separate, send the check directly to the Church of the Nazarene Foundation. They don't have to pay any taxes on the, on the gain of that crop. They get a tax receipt for donation in full, and somebody's going to get blessed. It's thinking outside the box. We've, we've received jewelry. I said the other day that we've had five, tombs, uh, five graveyard sites donated. Go figure. So we still haven't sold those. So if you want to, as, as we like to say, if you want to go to heaven from St. Louis, we've got a deal for you. Uh, but, but we sell them. We convert them into cash because God needs the money, right? And he needs it. And this person just says, I want to give so bad, but I don't know what. Oh, listen, I've got these graveyard plots. I'm going to give them away. Thinking outside the box because you love the Lord so much for all He's done for you. Listen, if you want to talk more about that, I'm going to be around. I'm going to eat eat dinner with you guys, so I'm looking forward to that. So here's a closing story. I'm going to use the names Jack and Jill. They're fictional names. Jack and Jill went up the hill. You know know those two. But this, this they're different, but we're going to use those names. Jack and Jill uh, were in one of the churches I pastored, and, and every church needs a Jack and Jill. Maybe this church has one. I don't know. When I first went to that church... Um, I got a little intercom uh, call from the secretary. He said, there's somebody here by the name of Jack. He wants to talk to you. I didn't know who he was. But I said, okay, we'll meet out in the conference room. So we went out, and there was this little conference room. Jack was in there. We kind of did the introductory kind of speeches you do. And then he got to the point of why he'd come. He reached down, and he had this, this box, and he says, uh, I have this computer I want to give to you. Now, I'd never owned a computer. In fact, I thought it was rather advanced because I had a typewriter with five pages of memory. I thought that was pretty good. So here's this notebook computer. It's not just a you know, desktop. It's a notebook computer. And I came to find out later that when Jack would buy things, he would buy the best on the market. So whatever was rated number one, that's what he'd buy. And so he gave me this notebook computer, and I'm just dumbfounded. I think, gee, how many Christmas? I've never, that's wonderful. Um, he had some other things that came with it. And so we, we finished the conversation. I'm really, I'm just shocked and blessed. And um, Jack gets ready to go, and I said, Jack, thanks a lot. He says, no problem. 
So then he stops at the door and he turns back and he says, Pastor, that's what I just said. That wasn't true. He says, if I had not given this to you, I would have been disobedient to the Lord. To which I said, well, Jack, then I appreciate it even more. The, the gift means more to me. Well, I didn't even know how to turn one on, but I figured it out eventually, began to use a computer. Throughout the course of the time when I was at that church, and I was there for many, many years, uh, every so often Jack would uh, upgrade all the computers. Uh, the outer office, all, any pastors that were on staff, uh, all of them were upgraded to the best that was out there at the time. Every so often we'd get a call to the office. There would be someone, maybe it would be a widow woman whose furnace went belly up or something like that. And so we would put out an appeal saying uh, we need to take care of this and uh, donations would be appreciated. Jack would always wait a couple days and he'd call up and he'd say, hey, how's that, uh, how's that drive going? And we'd tell him, he said, well, I'll be right in. He'd write a check and make sure that it's paid in full. Jack would always tell us, you don't, you, you don't ever do something without calling me first. I want to know what's going on because if the Lord wants me to give, I'm going to give. Um, he did that multiple times. We needed a new sound system. He bought it in, he, we did a fundraiser, then he paid the difference. We bought it in full. We outgrew that church and we had to totally relocate and go to a new building. And when we went to that new building, Jack bought all of the sound and AV, all the uh, audio and video system. He paid a professional to come in with that little stick, walk around, do sound checks, so you get equal sound all over the place, and, and arranged it all, paid for all that, paid for the professional. Most of the people in the church didn't even know who Jack was. Jack sat in the back while I was praying the closing prayer. He and his wife, Jill, would head out the door. Most people had no idea who Jack was, and there were no strings attached with Jack. Nothing. No strings attached. No, no leverage from him. They were just blessing. He just gave and gave and gave and gave, and God blessed him. Every church needs a jack. When I was getting ready to leave that church, I, I was in the sanctuary. They were doing worship practice, and Jack says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. And he said, I want to tell you a, a story. He said, uh, there's this, uh, there's this uh, company in Italy that's building a new fine arts building for, you know, for fine arts performances. Uh, they've put this, uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, building out to contract in terms of the, the metal. He supplied the metal part of it. Um, he said they've, they've put it out to bid to every, all these companies in Europe, and we're the only one in the United States that has received an opportunity to bid on this. So we put in our bid, and we got a phone call the other day, and the phone call told us that our, our bid won. Out of all the other companies, our bid won. And his, his secretary, he said, my secretary said to me, he says, this is unbelievable. How did they even find us? And Jack says he said it, and then he knew it was true. He said, they didn't find us. God pointed us out to them. Now, why would he do that? I want to tell you why. Because God knew he could trust Jack. Because Jack understood the blessing continuum. He gave and God gave. He gave and God gave. The more he gave, the more God gave. He just kept on giving and getting and giving and getting. He didn't bank it on, his, on himself. He just stored it and gave it and gave it and gave it and gave it. Whether we do it through the Nazarene Foundation, whether we do it through tithes and offerings, whether we do it through wills and trust, whether we do it through just big gifts and big gifts are good, good things, whatever we do, live the covenant. Live the covenant. 
It's the best deal going. Amen. Are you with me on that? Well, I suppose that a, a lot of times you give an altar call. Well, how do you give an altar call for this kind of sermon? Here's, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to just have a little conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, am I, am I in the covenant the way you want me to in verses 9 and 10? Is my attitude right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I paying my tithe? Am I being blessed and I'm just not realizing it and I need to be given back? What do I need to be doing? And then whatever God tells you to do, don't hesitate. Because if you think about it, in the world economy, it doesn't make sense. I think it would be fun. Now, I haven't heard this, but I'm going to guess that maybe this has happened. I think it would be fun if some two or three or five or ten of you went home today and in the midst of your conversation with the Lord, the Lord says, why don't you give that tithe thing a run? Why don't you just go ahead and see, test me in this and see if it'll work. Now, a lot of you are already tithers. God bless you. And a lot of you are going to be tithers in the very near future. Because God's just going to talk to you and he's going to say, don't worry about it. I'm the chicken. I'm the fried chicken guy. Okay? I've got the basket with all the bounty. It's okay. You can get through this. And I think it'd be kind of fun if maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday of this week you came in. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but this would just be kind of fun to see something like this. And you handed a check to whoever's in the office and said, God told me to do this, and I just can't wait till next Sunday. I want want in, because I know covenant works. Or maybe someone is sitting on a house that just needs to be sold, and you want to bless your church. And uh, you just haven't known how to do it. And now you're looking at the guy that can help you get it done. Because we take houses, by the way, and we'll sell them for you. You don't have to even hire anybody. We'll just handle the whole thing. Um, Whatever it is, just say, God, I want in on this covenant. And you know what he's going to say to you? I've been wanting you in. So come on in. Let's get together and let's make this happen. And if you'll do that, that's as good as an altar call. Well, God bless you. I think you're going to do the right thing. Thanks, Pastor. Wow. What an awesome presentation this morning of God's blessing and his power to work in our lives. Do you feel blessed today? Don't we have more than we ever deserved? I love the idea of a covenant continuum. I'm I'm in that blessing. I want to be there. I want to live in that place. All right. Bow your heads with me, and let's pray both for the dismissal of this service and for the food we're about to eat.